Right now, though, on ABC Radio Overnights, it's time to cross to the United States. Celeste Katz-Marston is our guest there. Celeste, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Now, the big story just in the last day or so in the U.S. was the fact that we had already seen that uh, the well, radio host, internet host Alex Jones had been found guilty uh, in the uh, by he was taken to court by the families of eight Sandy Hook shooting victims, um, and he lost that case. Uh, all that needed to to be to, to discover, I suppose, in the latest uh, chapter in this ongoing saga was how much money uh, he'd have to pay the families. It's an extraordinary figure of a billion dollars. Firstly, how did the judge, or how did, I presume it was the judge, arrive at a figure so large? Well, essentially, there were groups of people, as you said, uh, families that sued uh, Alex Jones for uh, defamation. Uh, basically, he had used his his radio program, his uh, his uh, internet programs through his company Infowars to essentially say that the Sandy Hook shooting never happened, to call uh, it a false flag operation, and to say that the families, these distraught, bereaved families, were crisis actors, that they were uh, pretending that this happened in, in order to, to somehow benefit and had defamed them, which led to a lot of people threatening them, stalking them, and they've lived in in fear and and uh, terror ever since. And so the uh, the awards are supposed to make up for some of the, the suffering that they have endured as a direct result of Alex Jones lying about them. So during the court case, he had to admit that he wasn't lying, that the shooting actually took place. Uh, When did he come to that realisation? Did he know that at the start? Do you think he honestly believes the crap that he peddles, the rubbish that he goes on with by saying, I mean, like, I don't even know what crisis actors are and how they fly them in, you know, whenever these shootings occur, apparently. Um, But when did he realise that it did not, it wasn't as he was saying, that in fact that this was a genuine tragedy, because he did admit that in court, that he believed that it did actually happen. When did that occur to him that that was the case? Uh, Probably when he would have faced a perjury charge for saying otherwise. Okay. Uh, I mean, he just had to, he had to admit that there's no question that these things happened. There's no question that what these families are going through is real and is horrible. I mean, this is uh, an incident, Sandy Hook, um, back in 2012, that ended the lives of 20 first graders and six teachers and staff at this school in Newtown, Connecticut. Um, there's just no question at all that that this happened. And, uh, you know, we'll see what it does to sort of uh, influence this growing, unfortunately, media ecosystem that uh, says that these mass shootings are ginned up, that they're false flag operations, that the uh, that the January 6th protests and rioting at the U.S. Capitol were peaceful demonstrations, just people who are uh, sort of actively and avidly constructing this alternative reality and just lying and and goading people into being more angry and more polarized as a result. So a billion dollars he's going to have to pay. Firstly, does he have a billion dollars? And will they negotiate it down to a much smaller figure? 
He says he doesn't have the money. Uh, he's been out there uh, broadcasting in the, you know, as this is happening, as this verdict is coming down, saying this is ridiculous. Uh, I don't have the money. Uh, he said something like this is what hell must be like when they just announce the figures really? and you don't and you don't have the money. At the same time, though, he has been using this to encourage people to give money to him to buy his he sells all sorts of sort of supplements and vitamins or I don't know. I mean, I don't know that these things have any actual uh, health benefits, no. but he, he, he these sells kinds of water things. that um, stops you being gay, too, I think. Yeah, I you know, I, I haven't really uh, shopped extensively on his no. on his website at all. It's just I'm not the target audience for this. But uh, and he has promised people that the money will go toward keeping Infowars, his company, alive and will not go to the victims of uh, this tragedy, the people that he defamed. So I'm not really sure what his thought process is there. But in the short answer to your question is he claims he doesn't have the money and it will not be it will not be paid. The idea that he thinks that this is what hell must be like is laughable considering what hell is, is sending your child off to school in the morning and being told that they'd been shot uh, in a many, you know, one of many school shooting tragedies, and then have somebody with the kind of megaphone that he has say that it was all faked. That's what hell must be, surely. I pray to God that I never find out and that more people don't find out, but I think there is a difference between uh, what Alex Jones is going through and what the families of Sandy Hook are going through. Do you, again, it's hard for you to know and it's hard for anyone to know, but do you think he really believes the sort of rubbish that he peddles or is he just a, a very smart snake oil salesman who knows what people want to hear, who knows what people want to buy and he sells it to them knowing full well that, that the products don't work and also what he is saying is a complete lie? As you say, I can't get in his head and I'm I'm a little just disturbed at the thought of what I might find in there. But certainly Alex Jones has been very effective at building an audience, telling people things they want to hear, giving them conspiracy theories to ruminate about, uh, giving them comfort in their their grievances about what society supposedly has done to them and uh, how they're being marginalized and how they're being taken advantage of. Um, and he's using these things to sell products. He sells gun stuff on his website. He sells survivalist stuff on his website. And he sells these, these frankly odd supplements that, you know, again, I don't know if they do anything like what they're supposed to do, but he is making money off of pulling people in with the kind of stuff that he's talking about and the kind of people he's talking to. And then he's, he's using this as a marketplace for his products. There's no question about that. So I don't, I mean, I can say it because it's true, but the way you describe it is very much like the former president, Donald Trump. He says things he knows not to be true or he says, says them because the people who are listening will believe it and will buy what he's selling. Now, in the past, he's sold real estate. In the past, he's sold all sorts of things. But then he was selling this idea of himself as a great president as well, and people are only too willing to buy that. To what extent do you think is Alex Jones the sort of person who has kind of laid the groundwork for Donald Trump being president? I think people like Alex Jones want to 
tap into a general distrust we've developed in you know institutions like government and the media in the United States. Uh, do they think that the things that they are saying are true when they are in fact not true? I mean, does it even matter? I think that a lot of these people try to cloak themselves in the First Amendment and say, well, I have a right to express myself. I have the right to have an opinion. Well, the First Amendment, as we know, only goes so far and you cannot exercise your First Amendment rights in a way that harms other people, that defames other people. We have lots of laws. The Constitution is the bedrock document of our of our country and of our government and of our society. But there is an entire extremely complicated and detailed network of laws that are built out of that, that protect people from being harmed physically, um, emotionally, financially from other people saying things about them. And so to just say, I have the right to say whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, that is just patently not true. But but the Constitution doesn't say, yeah, you've got free speech, but you have to back it up with facts. It doesn't go anywhere near saying anything like that. So you can get people on TV or on the internet now or on radio or, or, or political stump you know, speeches as well. They can say whatever they like. Can they not? People, they again. They you can you can express yourself. You can express your views, but there are limits to what you can say uh, without damaging another person. If it is false, you can. It it is not essentially. It is not slander or it is not libel if it's true. Like somebody can't come after you for saying things just because they don't like them but they can come after you for saying things that are just not true, particularly as in the case here, unfortunately, of Sandy Hook, when those things led to people living in fear, living in hiding, being targeted in person, having people show up at their house, stalking them and, and harassing them. That's, yeah. That is clearly an overstep that is not protected by your First Amendment rights, as far as I can see. Okay. Speaking of words having an effect, we're going to find out about just how much of an effect uh, President Trump's words, and he was president at the time, uh, when it came to the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So there's been a committee in the House of Representatives uh, representatives investigating this, and on, uh, well, I think today, um, Mm -hmm. a summation of its case against the former president could be... Um, revealed. So what are we likely to hear? What's going to happen after that? Well, what we're likely to hear, this could be the last hearing, though the committee, I think, has a, a set amount of time to operate, but they're going to be presenting new information. They say new footage, uh, new witness accounts and testimony that really are trying to get at um, how actively involved uh, the former president was in this insurrection at the Capitol, how he tried to go there, how he tried to, uh, uh, you know, get involved in it specifically and did nothing to stop the violence, waited hours and hours to quell this violence, didn't essentially call people off. So the question is, um, you know, it's sort of bad enough that this happened and that he did nothing to stop it or to calm people down or get them to go away and, and stop what they were doing, but that he have may have actively incited them and encouraged them, him and his um, sort of inner circle or supporters or advisors, encourage people to show up, encourage people to to come there and and behave in this terrifying way at the, the seat of our government. But 
okay, let's say they prove that. Let's say that you know they lay out all that evidence from even before the election and what he was planning there, because we know he was laying the groundwork, even when he was running for president four years earlier, about well, if you know whatever happens, if I don't win, we know it's rigged. I mean, he just laid that groundwork and, and just chipped away the whole time, and then even after the election, he was still going on with the same sort of stuff. So what happens if they prove that this is what happened? I mean, what happens with him? And then what happens if the Democrats lose control of the House in November, only a couple of weeks away now? Um, you know, Because if the Republicans get a hold of this, then that committee is not going to exist anymore. Yeah, that's that's about what it looks like. There's just the Republicans would move very quickly to shut this down if they do uh, take control of the House in the midterms. As you say, that's where we're only a couple of weeks out from from the midterm elections in November. Um, this committee can't make criminal recommendations against Donald Trump or against anyone else, but they can give their findings to the Justice Department, which can make uh, which can uh, take steps in that direction. Um, the House committee can also make legislative recommendations, uh, you know, maybe further controls on on what people can and cannot do, can and cannot say. Um, you know, it's sort of unclear. The full report is going to take a long time to put together, and that is obviously still not done. But um, this is this is a, a moment that a lot of people are watching in the United States because I think everyone's asking the same question. Who will be held accountable and how? And will they be able to prove that it was the president? The interesting thing about this is that I think the rule of thumb generally is that either the House or the Senate flips from control of one party to the other always during a midterm election. It, it, it will happen. Um, however, and also I should point out, it, it's on a razor-thin margin in both the House and the Senate. So it could easily flip to both Republicans or it could possibly stay both Democrat. However, um, the, the, high, the the Supreme Court's ruling um, allowing or disallowing abortion in so many uh, states and across the country, that's going to have a huge effect on voter behaviour, isn't it? And something that people have dreamed of, of overturn, overturning the Roe versus Wade case, which allowed abortion in the US in 1973, that they've been aiming for that for years, that might actually come back to have a bit of a sting in the tail and allow the Democrats to keep control of the House and the Senate. How likelihood, or what's the likelihood of that at the moment? Well, what we're seeing now is just looking at some uh, some information from the Kaiser Family Foundation. They did some uh, survey research on this, and they are saying that uh, a lot of people are, uh, half of the people uh, are more motivated to vote in the midterms because of the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But what's interesting is that uh, three quarters of the people who you know express this motivation say they want to uh, support candidates who are in favor of abortion rights, and only uh, less than twenty percent want to vote for candidates who want to limit access to uh, to abortion. So it will be interesting. A lot of people are being motivated by the abortion issue, but on both sides of the equation, and it appears that more people are motivated by a desire to protect abortion rights than to uh, continue to suppress them or to suppress them further. So it's not only that they are, um, you know, that this is an important issue for them, but they are more likely to vote. As we know, 
for good or ill, uh, it's not compulsory to vote in the US, and so a lot of people don't. But what this poll is saying is that people who are motivated by this issue, and it was a single issue for those on the right for decades, has now kind of flipped and it's going to be a single issue for those on the left. Right. So I think that people that thought that this would be a motivating issue on the conservative side to really lock this down to maybe have now that it's essentially a state issue, a state decision on how to treat access to abortion. Maybe they thought that more Republicans would be motivated, but Democrats uh, or people who support abortion rights, that doesn't necessarily, by the way, have to divide along party lines. There are yeah. Democrats who oppose it and Republicans who support it. But um People in states that do have abortion bans uh, are more motivated to vote than uh, people in states that already protect abortion. So people are mobilized in states where this is having um, a profound impact on access. Okay, so just to repeat those, three quarters of those who say the decision is motivating them say they intend to back candidates who support abortion rights compared with 17% who plan to vote for candidates who want to limit the access to abortion. 50% of the adults polled, and it's 1,500 people, which is, it doesn't seem like a lot, but that's basically what they poll, around about 1,534 people, uh, say they are more eager to vote in the midterms because of the the change in Roe versus Wade. And that's gone up for the last few months. It was 37% in May, it was 47% in July, 50% now in September, and who knows what it might be by November and then 51% of votes in states with abortion bans are more motivated to vote compared with 32% in other states. So it may very, very well have uh, to you know, come back to bite those that have made this their, uh, you know, their motivating force in voting over the last few decades. The question is, of course, yes, um, will this also replicate itself not only on the national level, but at state level, because that's where the the, um, the law has changed, isn't it? That's where individual states, which is basically what the Supreme Court said, that it should be up to the states, not the federal government, to do this, to legislate it. Then uh, they're saying, well, will, will people now vote uh, at a state level to return people to uh, state houses who are going to vote the way they want? Exactly right. That's that that this has now become a state issue. So people will mobilize and we have we have elections uh, not only for Congress, of course, but for governors, uh, attorney generals, secretaries of state, people who are otherwise involved in um, either making these laws or enforcing these laws. Uh, You know, uh, the executive positions obviously would have to enforce the laws. The legislators would have to make the laws. Um, But, yeah, this is this is really going to be a very interesting test case, people are not only motivated by a single issue. Uh, People are worried about the economy. People are worried about taxation. People are worried about schools. People are worried about environment, a lot of stuff. But in this particular case, abortion does seem to be mobilizing people, specifically mobilizing people who are for uh, abortion protections and people in states where abortion protections are being struck down. You know, you say that, you know, there are a lot of issues that people vote on, and that is true, of course. But if it is not compulsory to vote, then a lot of people do vote only on one issue. It's not like in Australia where you have to consider all, you know, what our candidates uh, say or believe or whatever. Or there might only be one or two issues, like we saw with some candidates at the last election. But in America, yeah, you can think, right, you stand on this issue the way I believe I'm going to vote for you. I'm going to put everything else to one side and I'm going to vote for you on that issue alone. That's what happens, isn't it? 
Well, there are some people who are one issue voters. Sure. There are also people who are what are called uh, straight party or straight ticket voters who just vote for the Democratic candidate or the Republican candidate in every race. They may not know anything about them. They may not even know what the office is responsible for, but they just, quote unquote, pull the lever. Uh, That's how we used to vote in the old days. Now it's more uh, electronic, but uh, they just support the party that they feel most closely affiliated with without regard to issues or the people. But when I think of something like abortion, which obviously those who are opposed to it have been trying to change the the makeup of the Supreme Court for the last 50 years, that they may have voted for Donald Trump, for example, because he knew they knew he would appoint judges that would think their way and put aside everything else they didn't like about Donald Trump. They would vote for him on that issue. And it's not only the voters, the individual voters, it's people in the Senate and the House as well, the, the leadership of the Republican Party who wanted this change. And they were able to put aside every other thing they ever said about Donald Trump. That is the classic single issue in in America in the last 50 years has been abortion. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that. I did a story uh, a while back when Trump was running that basically asked, how can people who identify themselves as Christian conservatives vote for this guy? How can they support him? He's been uh, married, divorced uh, twice, married three times. Uh, he has, you know comported himself generally in a way that might not be consistent with what you might consider conservative Christian values. And I talked to uh, a guy I know who is a a Republican consultant and worked with a lot of conservatives. And he said, look, they don't care how he acts or, you know, if if he does not uh, go to church regularly, does not seem to have any particular religious convictions himself, doesn't know anything about the Bible, uh, has been divorced uh, multiple times. We can look past that because we think that he will do what we want him to do on abortion, which is to uh, appoint Supreme Court justices that will strike down Roe versus Wade. Everything else, you know, maybe it's unfortunate. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I wouldn't want, you know, to act that way or have myself, uh, you know, my family act that way. But other politicians, conservative politicians, Republican politicians have talked about this for a long time and they haven't gotten it done. This guy will get it done. And they were absolutely right. Look, we've got only a couple of minutes to go. Uh, Cat cafes, owl cafes, all sorts of animal cafes are huge around the world. The Cat Cafe in Boston. Yeah, they're trying to there there have been other attempts to get this done, but apparently these uh these cat cafes uh it's like like a cafe and a bookstore and a cat lounge. I know that they have them in Asia. Yeah, uh in they do have yeah, they do have some of them here. I think they have them in, in uh South Korea also. Yes. Um, but not the biggest thing here. They do have some of them in in other uh, major cities, New York and Washington, L.A., San Francisco, those kinds of places. But now they want to bring one here. There was a previous attempt that completely fell apart, but uh, apparently there's still a conviction out there somewhere that we cannot cannot live without this combination of coffee and cats. I think you can. If you've lived without it, I think you should uh, definitely try. I'd love a Labrador cafe. That would be the mic kind of place that I'd like to go. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Thank you so, so much. As always, Celeste, we'll talk again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Celeste Katzmaston in Boston.